0: a real blessing to be here with you all today. Thank you for having us here. It's a great joy. Um, let's, let's begin again with prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege we have of serving you, of worshiping you, and of thinking really about what it means to be holy, even in hard times. And I ask that you just be with my words today, and may they be yours and not mine. Thank you so much. Amen. So I am really grateful to Ike Mueller, who is our president-elect, and he has planned the whole program this weekend. So, um, and I told him a year ago or so, I said, I really do not want to do a presidential address. We have normally had that in the afternoon. And I'm like, we are here at a church. I'd much rather preach a sermon. (laughs) So that's why I'm up here this morning. And as I was thinking about holiness, and that is our theme this year. What has really been on my heart is how do we be holy in hard times? And I think this, at least for me personally, has not been easy, as I mentioned in the children's story, with my physical accident, um, but also I am someone who struggles with clinical depression, and it has been really heavy these last few years on me And I've really wrestled, how do I still be a faithful follower of God when I am really struggling? And so these are really some of my reflections, my own personal reflections. I don't pretend to have all the answers, um, but just some things that have helped me as I've reflected on this. And I've recognized in talking with several of my colleagues over the last couple of years about this, that we just don't talk in the church enough about our hard times, especially as scholars. And I am prone to this as well. It is much easier to say to someone, oh, I'm just behind and I'm you know delayed in getting this to you or whatever, right? Rather than saying, I'm really struggling right now. I have depression or I'm going through a divorce or whatever it may be, right? So how can we be better about being vulnerable about being honest about where we're at and I find that when I do that other people are like oh yeah I have that too right or I'm going through a hard time too so I want to be better at sharing those hard things and hard times in my life but I think the hardest thing is that God promises in the Bible good gifts <laughs> right? We read all of these promises. There's so many. You could name them so much more than me, probably. God promises to heal our disease, answer all our prayers, make us the best and the top, give us wisdom, give us all these wonderful things, bless us more than anyone else. I mean, we're supposed to be these people that can just say, I am blessed. God has done these wonderful things for me. So what do we do, then, when hard times happen how do we wrestle with this how do we deal with this as a person of faith as someone who wants to be faithful to what god has shared with us and still wants to hope and believe in those promises what do we do um i'm sure you can think of all of you hard times in your own life but people in the bible also had hard times there's slavery, there's attacks by nations, there's corruption, there's famine, there's drought, there's poverty, there's unanswered prayers. Hard times are real, and they happen to all of us. So how do we respond? And I'm gonna list up here on this screen some responses that I've heard. Some of the first ones are ones that have been told to me in my hard times. I think we're often very well-meaning in what we say to people, but we're also often hurtful. Um, Be grateful in everything, right? You should find something to be grateful in what you're going through. Okay, I mean, that is true, but it also is really hurtful when you're in the middle of it. God wants to teach you a lesson, right? God brought this on you so that you can learn a lesson. I had people come into my hospital room and tell me that. It's like, hmm, I think God has taught me lessons, but I'm not certain that that's why God brought it on me, and I don't think God brought it on me to begin with. Or this, you must have hidden sin or some sort of defiant sin in your life, right? You must have done something wrong. This is like what Job's friends said to him, right, in the whole book, right? You must have done something wrong. God wouldn't have let this happen to you otherwise. Or how about this one? You just need more faith. If I had had more faith, I wouldn't have gotten into depression or my accident or whatever that might be. Or, God gave you this for your good, right? God really wants your good, so He gave you this hard time so you'd have good in your life. Or, this is God's will. This is not for me necessarily, but I've heard people say this. This is God's will for this person to suffer. Or, their death is for God's glory. Oh, I think people's death can be for God's glory, but I, I, I'm i troubled by us saying that to someone, right? When they've just lost someone. Or this, they died now so that they wouldn't fall away later and be lost, right? So they died now so they'd be saved. This can be true again, right? But I think this is, this is problematic necessarily to say. So are these all true? Do they have elements of truth in them? I I think they do sometimes, right? We have examples in the Bible of all of these things. So sometimes they can be true. But I think the trouble is when we immediately jump to trying to find a reason when maybe we just need to be with that person. In addition, the biblical picture is often way more complex than we usually share. And I want to share some of these things that have that I see in the Bible. So first of all, God's ideal was not hard times, right? When God wants to bless his people, he wants to bring prosperity. He says this, and I believe his promises are true. He wants to bless us. This is truth, right? But this is not the full picture in the Bible because God is not the only being that is acting. God longed for Israel to be the first the best the most wise the one that people came to and said i want to follow god because of you guys but this is not always what happened so i want to think about just a few of the reasons there's probably many more that you could come up with but a few of the reasons as to why um as to why you might be going through a hard time and then we'll talk about finish with how we can be holy in the midst of those hard times. So the first one is other people's free will or sinful choices. So we, we heard this in the scripture reading, right, with this intentional evil that Joseph's brothers did to him. This was not his choice. This was not God doing this to him. It was his brothers being evil, right? So this can happen to us as well. It can also be circumstantial evil. Maybe you're caught in a war, maybe a war of reality, if you're living in Europe right now, or a war of words, a war of gossip, a war, a theological war, I don't know, but it might be some war, and you are a casualty in that war. Or an accident, like my accident. I don't believe that God caused my accident. It was simply an accident, right? We see this in the Bible, too. Mephibosheth's nurse drops him, right? He becomes lame. So people have accidental things that happen to them sometimes it's purposeful people do purposeful evil right sometimes it's the circumstantial results of that evil that they do then of course this is one we're familiar with as adventists satan's actions i believe satan is an agent we see all through the bible working to do evil things to people and to hurt them satan wants us to be hurt satan wants us to turn away from God because of our pain. He wants us to blame God. This is his great desire, and I can attest to you that this is a great temptation for me when I go through hard times. It is hard to not blame God. Well, God could have stopped it, right? Why did he not stop it? It's very easy to turn to that, right? And I think it's important that we don't forget the great controversy when we go through tough times. Then it could be simply natural disasters, and I I'm kind of encompassing this into all the like terrible things that happen in the world because of sin that may not be our fault, right? So disease, you can be as healthy as you want. Here in Boulder, you all really care about being healthy, right? As Adventists, we should all care about being healthy, but that doesn't mean we're not gonna die. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're not going to get cancer, other diseases, right? No matter how well we care for ourselves, and this is a part of living in a sinful world. Plagues, drought, famine, we've all just been through COVID, right? These are things that um, I believe are just part of living in this sinful world. Depression, I think you could put under here, right, in many cases. Sometimes, though, bad times can be a result of our own sin. The consequences of things that we have done, of choices that we have made either directly or indirectly in the bible you see people's consequences of their direct sin you also see national sin right where the whole nation commits a sin there are consequences on people as a result of that people had to go into exile some of whom were righteous like daniel right but they end up in exile because of the sin of the nation you have familial sin Achan. you have epigenetic sin which is where the results of a person's choices carry on to their children, even though that person um, did not intend that. You can see this with, I think, with David and his sons, right, which who do a lot of the same sins that he does. So it can be the results of our own sin. It can also be, I think we see this in the Bible, a lack of asking for good things. We see this both in people who ask for Longer life, Hezekiah, right? He asks for a longer life, even though you might question, you know, some bad things happened in that longer life he chose. Um, we see this in the example of Asa, right, Who's, who the Bible specifically says he doesn't seek God's help. He just goes to the doctors and doesn't ask for God to do big things in his life. So sometimes it can be a result of this. So how do we know why? And I I really believe this is why these initial answers are problematic, because it's really complex. I think it's rare when we can look, even in our own lives, and say, why did this happen? There might be multiple reasons, right? And it's really important, I think, unless God has shown you directly not to assume this is why, The Bible often doesn't tell us why. Sometimes it does, but sometimes bad things just happen. And we don't know why and it's okay not to know so if we're in this place of not knowing if we're in this place of a really difficult time and we don't know why and we're we're uncertain why how do we respond what are the things that we can hold on to and one of them i think is god's unconditional promises and these i think he tells us are always true even if he Does not always promise us prosperity health ease or lack of trials he always promises us wisdom joy peace the Holy Spirit eternal life you could probably name others among that right so I think it's important first of all that we separate these out there are conditional promises that God gives us and then there are unconditional promises that he will always give even when we're in the middle of a very difficult trial but how do we be holy in the middle of the hard times. I, I like this quote from my friend Jeremy Treat. I went to school with him at Wheaton, and he says this. He's a pastor now in Los Angeles. He says, the Bible is not the story of God finding good people and rewarding them. It's the story of God pursuing sinners and renewing them. Right? And that that's just been really helpful for me to think about, right? my My difficult circumstances, <laughs> are not really about God punishing me. I mean, maybe sometimes they might be, right? But it's really God is renewing me, and he is able to use even these bad things that happen that seem to destroy me. So, seven principles. I had six, but you know, teaching the Old Testament, I had to add a seventh. I just couldn't be without them. So we're going to try to move through them here quickly so we am not, not taking too much time. So the first one, and this is still for me the hardest one. I tend to want to do all the other six, but to actually stop, and this is what I was trying to get out in the children's story, stop and grieve and lament. We don't do this well in the church. I think as Christians in general, definitely not as Adventists. We... You know, we want to come to church and say, I am blessed. Well, maybe you feel awful that day. What if instead we we grieve and lament, and the Bible is full of laments? And they are saying, the, the prophets, the, the psalmists, they're saying, things are not right. I need to mourn. I need to feel my feelings. I need to express these. And this is... We tend to only read the psalms that are happy and joyful, right? (laughs) Too often, at least in church, there's plenty of psalms that are full of grief and lament and loss and crying out to God and saying, why God? I don't understand why I am here. And so I'd like to read one with you because um, I think this one has just meant a lot to me. Psalm 13, and... I modified this from another presentation I heard because it was really helpful for me to think about how do you lament, right? It's easy to say, okay, let's let's lament, but what does that look like? And Psalm 13 is a good one to look at. And we start off with lamenting with the word M. So it's going to be M-O-A-N, you're moaning to God, okay? So your first one is you're meeting up with him. You come to him. So... It's hard when you're really struggling, at least it is for me, to actually come to God, take that hurdle, right? It's I feel like I don't know if God really wants to hear all of these difficult emotions in my heart. And so David starts the psalm by saying, How long, O Lord? He's meeting up with God. He's coming to God. And I think again, this is often the hardest thing, right? Taking our our feelings, our deep longings, our struggles to God and saying, I'm here, God. I want to meet up with you. And then he continues on in verse 1 with opening up his heart to God, expressing his feelings, telling his complaints and fears and struggles. And this is in the rest of verse 1 and 2. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? This is not David in the throes of joy. This is him in the depths of despair. Sorrow all day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David is struggling. David is wrestling. David is opening up his heart to God. And then the A ask for what you need ask boldly ask and claim and say god i'm here help and this is verses three and four he says consider and answer me O lord my god light up my eyes lest i sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say i have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because i have been shaken it's like help god i'm being honest with you i'm telling you what i need I am asking for your help. Please help. This is hard for me, too. It's hard for me to ask boldly. It's hard for me to tell God what I really need and want without being like, well, maybe, God, if it's your will, like, you know, maybe I'd really kind of like this, but I understand if it doesn't work, right? David here is asking boldly. But he ends with, The end. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust. And that's verses five and six. But David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. In the middle of him being in sorrow all day long, that's what he's just said. But he's like, I'm trusting in God's love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is in the midst of his sorrow. He is able to say, nevertheless, I am renewing my commitment to you, God. And I find it fascinating that Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is patterned after this. Right? He says, Father, he's meeting up with God, if it's possible. Right? This opening up his heart, I, I don't want to go through this. Asking for what he needs, right? Then he says, take this from me. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, right? He follows the same kind of lament pattern there. So this grieving, this lamenting is something that we often pass over. All right, the next point, this kind of goes with this, but I think this is a little bit separate too. Being honest with God, wrestling with him, really sharing your heart, Really struggling with what does God mean? I think we see this all through the Psalms. We see this in Job as he's dialoguing. We see this with the prophet Habakkuk as he says, God, I don't understand. And God says, don't worry. I'm going to do this. And Habakkuk says, but that doesn't make sense either. Right? This kind of wrestling and dialoguing with God. That's hard to do. (laughs) It's not easy. But I think it's one of the ways that we can express Our faithfulness to god in the midst of hard times being honest wrestling with him thirdly be gentle with yourself learn to receive empathy i see this in the story of elijah i wish we had more time to spend there i encourage you to go back and read first kings 19 on your own elijah's depressed elijah wants to die elijah's running away he's struggling he's fearful He doesn't understand the truth. He says, I'm all by myself, God. There's no one else like me. Just take my life. God doesn't come down and say, you idiot. Look, there's 7,000 people. No, what does God do? He sends an angel. He touches him. He gives him food. He lets him sleep. He takes him on a very long walk for 40 days. You actually think he, he didn't walk very far every day to get down to Mount Sinai. It was a long, long time that he could have done in about 11 days based on how fast they walked then. Time out in nature, walking slowly, thinking, reflecting. And even there, God shows up to meet him in this still, small voice. He's silent. He's with him. He's empathetic. And even though Elijah's still struggling and wrestling and saying the same things to God, God is gentle with him. God doesn't treat him the way I treat myself, right? God has empathy. God cares. And God eventually says, all right, I'm going to give you a companion, Elisha. And I'm going to give you purpose. But I'm also going to take you to heaven with me. Isn't that amazing? Elijah, who struggles and wrestles and believes the lies, is depressed. God takes him to heaven. God loves depressed people. God cares about people who are struggling. God is gentle. God has empathy. Number four, rest in God's character of love. Jesus understands your suffering. Jesus has been there. God suffers. I think this is one of the most powerful, beautiful things about the Bible, is that it is very open and honest about God's heart of love for his people and God's suffering that he goes through when we turn away from him. God suffers, Jesus suffers, he understands. So if no one else understands in your life, if no one else is saying, hey, I have empathy for you, I care about you, God does. Resting in his character of love, resting in his understanding for you. Number five, look for God's creativity. And this may not be something you can do right away in your hard times. But I think we see this with Joseph, right? Later on, the very, towards the end of his life, his father's died, his, his brothers have come back to him, and they say, they're terrified that he's going to kill them, right? And he's like, look, I'm not God. But look, you, you meant this for evil. You tried to destroy me, but look what God did. Right, this was not God doing these bad things to me, it was you guys. But God was able to bring good out of it. God was able to save a bunch of people through this. And I find this true in my own life, it's really hard to see in the moment, but I can look back now and I, because of the things I have been through, I am much more of an empathetic person. I'm a much more caring and understanding person with my students and my friends and my family. Could God have done that some other way? Of course, right? But because of the things that the devil and other things and just living in a sinful world happened to me, God has brought good in spite of the bad. So taking time to look for God's creativity in your life. Number six, later on, I think this is important because sometimes in the moment when you try to do this, you cut short the grieving. You cut short the lament. You cut short the feeling. You cut short the working through what you're really going through deep in your heart. But later on, I think we can learn and say, OK, God, how can I grow from this? Right? Maybe I'm not, maybe you didn't intend this for me. And I think it's often the case for most things. right? But how can I grow? How can I learn? How can I grow? I think we see this with Job. We see this with Elijah, right? Even in the story of his depression. Job, I'm convinced more and more looking at the book of Job that in God telling Job at the end about all the animals, he's also talking to him about the great controversy as he talks about Leviathan and Bahamoth. And he may not understand everything that's there, but this is why he's like, oh i get it god there's something else going on here right you're not attacking me there's a bigger force of evil well there's a big force of evil but you have control ultimately over that so i can trust and rest in you so how can we grow out of our hard times not that god brought them to us in order for us to grow there's a very big difference right but how can we let god use these things for good paul talks a lot about this right How can we let the suffering grow us into better people and followers of God? And then number seven, the one which of course is always our favorite, but I think we tend to go here first, and I'm not saying we shouldn't go here, right? But we need to feel those feelings and go through those things, just like all of the Bible people did and Jesus himself did. Eagerly anticipate, though, the time when God's gonna make all of this right. We're not promised good times here on earth. Many times we have them because God loves us and he does the best he can in this sinful, dark world. But ultimately, just like Job, the very center of the book of Job, the most important point is Job saying, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'm going to see him again in my own self, with my eyes, after I die. God's going to resurrect me. So whatever else happens that can give us hope. Even if there's none of these other things, maybe we can't see a lesson, maybe we can't seem to grow out of it, maybe we end up a martyr like John the Baptist. But we can eagerly anticipate the coming of the Messiah, which is really the only thing that can truly and fully give us hope. So as the musicians come up here, I want to kind of reiterate these things by a few statements here at the end, because I think I'm not trying to say some of those things at the beginning aren't important, but I do want to say that it's not so much about always being grateful. I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful, but sometimes we need to grieve and lament before we are grateful. It's not so much about always saying the right things, like I'm doing well, everything is wonderful, but it's about being honest with Holiness in hard times is not so much about fixing yourself, trying to make yourself better, but it's about being gentle with yourself, receiving empathy, letting God show his love and other people show their love into your life. Holiness is not so much about having more faith, although it does include that, but it's really about resting. When you're in a hard time, rest in God's character of love. Rest in his understanding for you. Rest in his care for you. It's not so much about finding the reasons why you may never find the reasons why you're going through your hard time but you can look for how God's going to creatively use it to bless other people to bless yourself it's not so much about looking for lessons even though lessons may be there right but it's about considering ways maybe that you can grow even in the midst of it and ultimately It's not so much about waiting for the good times to return, though they may, right? We see this in Job and others in the Bible that go through really hard times and God brings good times again later. But what if they don't? (laughs) We spend our whole lives waiting and then we've lost this great hope that we have to look forward to the resurrection, that ultimate good time. And I can testify to you personally that that seventh reason is often the only reason that gets me through. I may not be able to do all of those other things or see all those good things, but sometimes in the midst of it, I can say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for creating me, for redeeming me, and for promising to come again. And I long and look forward for that day. Amen.